Hello, everyone. This is the Motorsports and Driver Development Show. We are your hosts. I'm Katie Lopkovich. And I'm Keto Grillmeyer. And we started this show because through our work as race organizers, we get tons of questions from competitors. And we also get to meet some very cool people that have great experience to share. So we use this platform to bring those conversations to you all. Before we get into today's interview, let's see what's going on. Well, the Labor Day Rallycross registration opened, sold out quickly, uh, but it still has a short wait list, so, you know, uh, you can still sign up, um, possibly get in. Um, if you've never gone, it's um, a really fun rally event. Uh, it's got two days of racing with night racing. There's something about it that, you know, just feels like old school X Games. Yeah, and I've just been knee deep working on Rallycross Fest prep. It just feels like there's so much more pre-work to do with all the COVID precautions, but it's moving along and I'm really excited. That's gonna be a really great event. Sweet, well today we are talking to Dr. Brett Kowai. Brett is a psychologist that spent some time answering our questions about handling stuff like pre-race nerves, rebounding from a bad run or bad race, and how to set yourself up for a good race day. It's a really great chat, and Brett has a great calming voice. It's very, it's very much like a therapist. Um, but I'm pretty sure I made a boo-boo when setting up the recording. I think we recorded through the computer speakers instead of our fancy podcast microphones. So our sound is not great. Fortunately, Brett's voice comes through loud and clear, and he's the one you really want to be listening to. So my apologies. But enough excuses. Please join us in welcoming Dr. Brett Kawada to the Mon Show. Welcome to the Motorsports and Driver Development Show. My name is Katie. And I'm Keto. And today we are joined with Dr. Brett Kawada, a psychology professor from the Pacific Northwest. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, we are super excited to get into all things sports psychology. So, but first, let's talk about you. Give us just a quick rundown of how you even got into your line of work. Like what inspired you to get into psychology? (laughs) A quick rundown. Um, Yeah, it's, uh, this is something that usually I start the class out, uh, each of my classes. So, so I teach uh, psychology and I also teach rehabilitation counseling. And um, I got here in just a weird way. So I really started out and kind of uh, going into college, I really wanted to be in the field of psychology. And uh, I went to Western Washington University and one of the professors there was uh, Dr. Thorndike. And he was, the, I thought he was the son of E.L. Thorndike, who was kind of like a famous psychologist. I think he's actually the grandson, but I was so excited to take his class. I took it the first quarter and I think I got like a D or a D plus in the class. And I was like, oh crap, I'm not smart enough to be a psychology major. So then I started just kind of searching around, trying all these different majors out. And uh, after, you know, uh, my second senior year, third junior year, I can, I don't know which one it was. I finally was like, okay, I better graduate. And so I actually graduated with an East Asian studies major. Um, and I was trying to figure out, well, what do you do with an East Asian studies major? I wasn't too sure. So I went back to doing what I always did, which was actually working um, at a local uh, retail company. And so I kind of did the whole climbing the corporate ladder thing there, but it was never really 
happy. Um, and really, the the parts of my work that I truly enjoyed was all the the interaction with people, um, coaching people, different teams and things like that. And I was like, gosh, you know what? I really just want the that kind of intimacy of uh, the psychology work. Um, just being able to sit and share space with somebody, you just don't get to do it in really any other job and, and, and tell you, you get into a space like that. Um, so then I decided I was going to go back to graduate school. Uh, and then I ended up uh, working at a couple of different counseling centers. So I did my doctoral internship at the University of Washington in their um, counseling center. And that was one experience in a counseling center um, at a big university. And then I did one of my practicum years at North Seattle Community College. And there I was like, whoa, I really resonate with the community college environment. The students that are here kind of felt more like home. And so once I graduated, I actually went and uh, checked out more of the community college setting. And I ended up being a counselor in the community colleges. Um, Did that for about nine years and then transitioned out into full-time instruction. I've been teaching up to that, you know, all through that time, just, uh, you know, one or two classes a quarter, but then decided to switch it up and got into instruction. So that's where I've been um, for the past, I don't even know now, like five, six years. So (laughs) that's so, that's so great. I love the, um, the deviation of the path because I, I'm pretty sure almost everyone I talk to has a really similar story like you think you know what you want to do and either you try it or it doesn't quite work out or you sort of take this path and I love that you kind of found your way back yeah it's kind of one of those things where I always tell um, students that you know find your passion and stick to it because that passion is always gonna is gonna fuel you at some level um, whether it's your main line of work or maybe it's gonna be a hobby or, or something that you do on the side um, but you can avoid it but it's gonna come back to you so and and it came back for me and it, it got me into doing the stuff I'm doing today. So, yeah, that's so true. And it's, that's a perfect segue. That was not an intended segue, but it is a perfect segue for when we talk about the folks who compete with us and the type of racing that we do. I don't think any of them are making a living doing amateur rallycross and rally sprint, but there is so much passion and there is so much hard work that goes into it that you do sort of have to take a lot of, um, like you have to take it seriously to the extent that you would take a job seriously. If you want to do well, if you want to make sure you're prepared and you're safe. And so that, I mean, that's kind of a perfect segue. Um, Let's kind of dive right in. I would love to talk about just managing your own pre-race jitters and anxieties and sort of like what you can do to set yourself up for just like a kind of calm, but good racing. Um, For a lot of folks, that kind of calming of the nerves or, or managing your pre-race jitters really starts before you show up at the track. Uh, a lot of times it's going to be, what are you doing at home? Um, are you in your mind, you know, using some visualization techniques? Are you uh, using basic, just deep breathing techniques? Are you taking care of yourself? I think that even just the basic self-care, if you're not managing your own life well, then your ability to to perform well is going to be impacted and usually negatively. And so a lot of it starts before um, even thinking about goals, like what is what are the goals that you have for yourself during the, in this race? Um, focusing on a, a lot of times, you know, in the field of, of uh, sport and performance psychology, 
they really try to shift the focus from the the end meaning like the the prize or, or finishing first or whatever it is to really focusing on the process the process is going to you know focusing on the process is going to be more likely to get you to whatever your goal is but if you're just focused on the goal without thinking about the process then you're missing out on a lot of opportunities to to improve yourself so all of that can really help out but really you know if you find yourself at a race and you're noticing that you're feeling uh, kind of anxious um, some of it depends on what you tell yourself about your feelings and so you might be telling yourself oh my gosh i'm, I'm freaking out too much i got to calm down but i'm not doing it that's just escalating the problem um, you know and potentially put you kind of over this edge there's this theory called the yerkes dotson theory of performance and basically you've kind of got the the x axis and the y axis the x axis is um kind of anxiety i guess we could say so here's anxiety here and you've got performance on the y axis and it kind of looks like a normal curve where you just have you know just a basic normal curve with the very top of it being peak performance so the theory suggests that um, as you uh, have more anxiety it actually pushes your performance level up However, once it gets to a certain point and you have too much anxiety, then your performance goes down. So what you're trying to do before you, know, you actually get into that uh, racing is to get into that peak performance place. So you wanna have a little anxiety. And so some of it is telling yourself that this is good, that, that what I'm feeling right now is actually helping me prepare to do my best because now I'm getting those jitters, but that's getting me up to that, that peak performance area then it's really going back you know after the race and assessing you know going back and thinking about uh, what did i do um, what were my areas of opportunity and really there's so much research around optimism and pessimism and if you focus on opportunities and the good there's more chance that you're actually going to take something away and, and grow and do better the next time you get into a situation like that if you're thinking about all the negative things, it's going to push you towards avoidance or you're not going to learn about what can I do. Well, I was, uh, the point I would bring up is um, process. You know, I mean, if, if someone finds a way that works, if they can get their car together, get their vehicle to the race, get prepared, get through all the inspections, get there, find themselves in that peak, you know, it would seem like they would want to try and take note of what that process was and try and repeat it so that they can do it, do it over and over again. Absolutely, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's such a big thing is that we, as human beings, we have this super amazing ability, this metacognitive ability that we can think about our own thinking process, um, really think about our own past behaviors and then modify those things. So um, that going back and really assessing is, is huge. Um, and then that helps with your future visualization and goal setting and planning and things like that, which all relates to uh, higher performance eventually, as long as you, you know, continue to, to learn and grow from those things. Yeah. So let's talk about that idea of going back and revisiting your performance and looking for opportunities and not really beating yourself up over things that went wrong. Let's say I, um, I made some mistakes and I want to like kind of assess them and figure out how I won't make those mistakes again. If I frame them in my mind as mistakes, that's kind of how I acknowledge that maybe I can do better. 
how, like, what does the self-talk sound like there so that you're framing it as an opportunity? Yeah, I, I think using that, that language is really important. So in your own mind, if you hear kind of deficit style language, so things that, that sound more like you're digging yourself a hole as opposed to uh, really growing yourself, that that can be a place to shift. So if you're beating, if you find yourself kind of beating yourself up over and over and over again, oh gosh, I should have done this. Mm-hmm. I should have done that. So if you hear kind of past tense language about negative past tense language that that's suggesting, okay, maybe I need to shift that around and really th- be forward focused. Um, thinking about, uh, well, here are the things that uh, I have areas of opportunity, but don't necessarily just focus on those. Think about what you did well also, because chances are if you're you know, competing in, in rallycross, um, you probably have done a lot of things good to get to that point. So don't let those things go. Keep thinking about those things as well. Um, but then think about, well, where, where, where are some of the, the places that I may uh, might be able to improve my performance and, and continue to do even better. Um, and so the self-talk oftentimes is saying to yourself, and it, it, you want to be realistic too. You don't want to just say, oh, I did so awesome. You know, it's not like everybody gets a, a trophy kind of talk to yourself that if you want to be a, a peak athlete or performer, um, you have to push yourself and you have to be real with what your performance actually looked like. And so being realistic about it, but not letting it get you down, I guess you can say, not beating yourself up about it. So look for for negative language and try to change that to, to positive or at least neutral language. Um, those are good places to start. It really helps to talk to somebody uh, about uh, your process. Uh, a lot of times we go through this process in our minds and when it's in our head, it's just kind of bouncing all over and it's not always clear. Um, and, and so if you can sit down and kind of process it out with somebody else, maybe somebody who, who also um, races, that that can be helpful. Um, going back, you know, one of the most powerful things we can do if you've got access to like videotape and things like that, watching yourself, um, that is such a huge uh, the way that people can learn is really just watching their own process unfold uh, because it's really hard when you're in the moment to see all those subtle things that you missed because you were in the moment. Once you can step out, then all of a sudden you get a different viewpoint and different angle. And from that, you can do a whole lot of learning. So if you have access to, to videotape, that can really, really help the way that you think about your own performance as well. That's good advice. Yeah. So that that leads me into this. So yeah, a lot of guys do put uh, in car video or some video where they can see what they're doing. And if you find yourself, you know, having a habit, um, it's often the hardest thing to do is break a bad habit. Somebody tries to drive with one hand, they don't let go of the ship knob. Mm-hmm. You brace themselves when they should be actually driving. You know these sort of things. How does one sort of break that cycle? You know, I can see it in people and had it myself. It's just a cycle just keeps repeating. You you want to stop it, but you get there and you just do it again. Yeah. Uh, It's very different for something where kind of your life is a little bit on the line. I mean, so to speak, like, uh, you know, if you crash, chances are you'll probably survive, but there's a chance that you could get hurt pretty bad. And so I think it's even more challenging in things like racing to get rid of those habits because sometimes those habits are there because they've kept you safe over time. 
they may not necessarily do you, do you right, meaning that it's not going to get you to your best performance level, but it's allowing you to make it through in a safe way. And so those things are a little bit more challenging, but the first thing is really understanding and recognizing where that's happening. Um, a lot of times people don't even notice it, that, that they're making this mistake over and over. So the first thing is really recognition. Once you've got that recognition, um, you can start to look for patterns. So where does this tend to show up? Once you start to understand the patterns a little bit more, then you can start to think about how can I change the patterns? Um, and it, t- it really takes intention and it takes work. And it's not something that you can just do like that. Um, a lot of times people can do this through visualization. So if you are not on the, the race course and you know that here are my patterns, this is what I'm doing, um, in your mind, you can actually go through and, and so many high performing athletes use visual, visualization to increase their performance, to be able to go back and kind of run through those moments where you're, you've got those bad habits and in your mind, show your, yourself doing the correct thing as opposed to the incorrect thing, um, that's going to then translate eventually into uh, more likelihood that you're actually going to do that in the moment. Um, but it takes rehearsal, it takes intention, and it, and it takes um, a, a lot of uh, willpower and time a lot of times. So the mention of visualization, I want to tie that back to earlier when you said not to focus on the outcome necessarily and to focus more on the process. And whenever, this is going to show how much I know about this topic, whenever I think about visualization, I'm always like, yeah, envision yourself winning, you know, taking that trophy, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Raising it overhead, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, Talk us through a little bit, even just when you're not trying to break a habit, just going through the motions, what types of things as a competitor should you think about just playing through your mind and setting yourself up for with visualization? Sure. Yeah. So this actually is something that I think a lot of folks do is that when they think of visualization, they think of raising the trophy over their head and celebrating and, you know, kissing some, you know, beautiful lady or something like that who's on the stand with you. Or, you know, I just imagine like Formula One racing or something like that. Um, but really, it's much more than just that piece of it. I think it's important to, to have that, right? To be able to say, yes, I did this. I, you know, I, I, I won the race. But it's starting from way before. It's even visualizing waking up in the morning, feeling refreshed, feeling calm, going about my normal routine, eating a healthy breakfast, getting myself physically and mentally prepared, driving to the, you know, to the track, um, knowing that you're showing up, feeling nice and calm, um, being able to then visualize yourself doing your checks, whatever you do to, to check and make sure everything is set and ready to go? Um, what does it look like and kind of feel like as you're kind of rolling up to the start of the race, going through the whole race, and then raising that trophy up? So you really want your visualization to include as much as possible. Um, so not just as much process as possible, but you also want it to feel as real as possible. So as you're going through the process of visualization, you want to include as much sensory information as you can really think. So you want to think about what are the sounds that I'm going to be encountering along the way? Um, What are some of the the physiological sensations that I notice? Uh, Those are also important to recognize. Noticing your own thought processes as you're kind of going up to this. All of those things you want to incorporate into a, a really solid visualization. And again, it takes practice. 
Um, it takes time to, to utilize that as something that you kind of do on a normal basis. I think a lot of folks, um, you know, they, they think to themselves, yeah, I'm going to visualize. And then they do it one time and it doesn't really work out the way they thought it was going to, and then they just give it up. It's not like that. It's like, you know, practicing anything. If you want to do it well, you got to do it over and over and over again. And eventually you'll start to see those results. Mm-hmm. Right. So you brought it up. Uh, a lot of people don't think about this, but you know, um, your mind works a lot from your body. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if you're hungry, you don't have the sugar to power your, your brain. Mm-hmm. And so some people don't, don't realize how much it can, it can really affect you. And so can you talk a little bit about that, you know, sort of, you know, sure. people, how that, how that works? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really important to to really think if you're going to be a top performer really in anything, that uh, as much as our mind and body are, are kind of separate in nature, we're really a holistic whole being uh, and we can't necessarily separate the two. And so I think a lot of times people forget that you've got to eat a healthy breakfast. Um, you know, if you're going into a, a racing day, you want to make sure that you're fed well, but it's not just that morning that these patterns have gone on for a while. Um, if you're, if, you know, if you're not taking care of yourself on a daily basis and getting appropriate amount of sleep, getting the, the right nutrition, all of those things are eventually going to lead to lower performance levels. And so uh, I think it's really important that you think about your own health and well-being, not necessarily just from a mental or a physical place, but really a holistic wellness, sense of wellness. Um, and that, you know, you, you know, little things can make a huge impact on your day. Um, uh, I think, you know, things like arguments with a, a partner, that that actually can impact the way that you uh, f- are able to focus and concentrate. And so making sure that, you know, you're taking care of the, the issues that are popping up in your life, because those things can relate to performance as well. I think there's um, a lot of uh, research these days. I remember reading a study um, about somebody who'd f- uh, specifically focused on college level athletes and did a bunch of research around how much stress and pressure they're feeling. And through the research found that these folks are uh, experiencing so much stress that it is impacting their performance. And so they changed policy at, at the college in particular that this person did the research around to allow them to get out and connect with family, um, to be able to have time away to, you know, do little things that you might not think about. But once they were able to, to do those things and kind of take care of other aspects of their life, then all of a sudden their performance started to go back up. So, uh, so it is, I think you, you bring up a really good point. It's really important that um, you take care of yourself, mind, body, and really spirit too. Yeah. There's so much connection there that, and it's kind of, it can be easy to forget and not really think about that as you're prepping uh, yeah. to call out. Um, something that I so I, I am a distance athlete, so I do marathons and triathlons. And something I had to learn was that I have my race morning nerves are so strong that eating does not feel good. Mm-hmm. So I had to get strategic about the things I ate the two, two days and one day before so that I was like properly fed and hydrated prior to race. And then I knew that on the course I would take in fuel and calories and that sort of thing. Well, when we got into organizing, 
I have those same race day nerves when I'm putting on a race. Like I don't want to eat until the day is halfway through. I forget to drink water. I forget to take in electrolytes. And everyone talks about the rally hangover. That is a real thing because we forget to take in fuel. And the next day we feel like we've consumed a bottle of vodka the day before. And no just water. crash. Yeah, you just really feel awful. And so the thing I... I, I secretly think people do actually consume. They just consume vodka. <laughs> they actually do. <laughs> um, but so the thing I have to do to kind of set myself up, it, even for organizing races, is to remember that I'll eat a couple days before very well. I'll hydrate on race morning. I may not eat the first thing until 11 o'clock, and that's okay. But then I factor that into what I eat and drink throughout the rest of the day, knowing that I've started later and I'm at a bit of a deficit. So I kind of come up with my own like management plan. And I'm just sharing that for people who are driving who may – like maybe throw a power bar in like the glove box of your car. And after you've done a couple runs, you may actually feel like taking something in and knock it back with a Gatorade and you're going to feel a lot better as the day goes on. Yeah. And I like what you said there because uh, you went back and you really analyzed, well, what do I need to do to make sure that I have what I need to, to get through whatever, you know, if it's a marathon or something like that. Um, and then you adjusted things, you shifted things. So it's that, that self-exploration, that analysis, and then relating that to performance is huge. And I think it's really important to also recognize that your process is not going to be the same process that's going to work for other folks as well. Um, and so making sure that you try these, these suggestions out, uh, but know that everybody's perfect thing that works for them is not necessarily going to be the perfect thing that works for you. And so it is kind of a trial and error thing, but I, I think that's a perfect example of really knowing that this is an opportunity and what do I do? Uh, and so going back and changing your diet two days before um, to make sure that you've got the nutrition, that's, that's amazing. So, yeah. I practiced over a long time, screwed it up quite a few times. Yeah. It's trial and error, right? Yeah. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about the relationship piece. I want to talk about it from two sides. First, if you are a competitor and you do happen to get into a spat with your spouse or, <laughs> or any number of things, but let's just use that example because it's slightly comical. What do you do? Like, and it's the night before or as you're running out the door to, to a race, how do you rebound? How do you get your head right? Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, again, it really kind of depends on the individual, depends on the kind of fight. If it was just like, hey, um, uh, you left your your toothpaste on with the the cap off again. Dang it! What's wrong with you? You get over that a little bit easier than if you know your spouse was like, "Hey, guess what? I'm leaving you." There we go. Sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I think it it really really varies, and I think it's going to be uh, again back to that understanding of self and, and being able to recognize your own uh, where you are m mentally and physically and. Uh, you know, I, I kind of mentioned this before, but uh, racing could potentially be dangerous. And I think you have to be mindful enough to recognize when your mind is compromised by something that's happened externally. Um, not everybody is able to really compartmentalize aspects of their life. In fact, very few people are <laughs> to where my home life stays at home, my work life stays at work, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and so it's really starting to recognize from a, a position of self-awareness, can I race today? Is it wise for me to actually race? And I think most people will still push themselves through that. And um, I think once you've done that, it's 
it's important again we go back to that whole assessing the process piece look at what happened there um, if you didn't do as well you can start to think about well what were some of the uh, the things that I did at the race but what were maybe some external factors that you know impacted this I think um, you know anything can it's kind of like if we're doing a, a psychological battery a, a test of uh, so we're testing somebody we give a psych battery um, things we have to assess what was it like for you to get here today did you run into any difficulties uh, you know if somebody had a fender bender and then is going in to get some kind of a psychological test we have to either not test that day or we have to say this is a non-standard um, test testing situation because this situation happened on their way there um, and so we do know that outside forces are going to impact it so it's really understanding what it was that happened and then um, seeing what your own reaction was uh, and then making decisions from there yeah. So there's not really a cut and dry, just the, here's the key and here's the answer. It's pretty, there's a lot of uh, variables there. I like that you acknowledge that maybe today is the data race, you know, just that in my mind, I imagine that would be under extreme circumstances where you just didn't feel right. But I feel mm -hmm. like acknowledging that sometimes it may be okay to pull yourself out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but I'd also like to talk a little bit about as the spouse or the partner, how do you support someone in like you're you're sending them out the door what are the things you can do to help sort of send them on their way in a positive yeah way? i think i think um just that supportive nature you know just being able to um feed some positive thoughts into their head you're going to do great um this is going to be it's going to be a, a, an easy run today for you or it's going to be challenging but you've got all the skills that you need you've done it before um, a lot of times it's going back to past performance. So many times we just think about future performance and we forget about past performance and all those things that we've already done. So you can, you know, bring up some of the things that have happened uh, that have been working for them. Um, ask questions and just, you know, be there and uh, be there to just receive. Um, a lot of times you don't necessarily have to say a whole lot. Sometimes it's just letting the person get some of their, whatever it is inside of them out. Um, be there, uh, ask them a, a question about, you know, which if you know that there's things that they've been working on, well, uh, how might this look into that first turn? If you know what the track kind of looks like and you know, I have some bad habits going into that first turn, um, what's that going to look like so that you can kind of get them going in that thought process of, oh yeah, that's right. When I go into that first turn, I need to, um, so on and so forth. So it's really just kind of helping them get to that level of peak performance. Um, I think that that's probably the, some of the, the best things that you could do from a supportive stand, standpoint. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So let's talk a little bit about um, that anxiety peak. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Like trying get, to measure, trying to dial no, you it. Get, get, you get to that certain point. I found that really interesting because, you know, over the years, different drivers seem to do different things. I've seen guys who play, you know, a drum solo. Oh, yeah. Drums, really? Just inside. Oh, no, I, I don't know. Nervous energy coming out. Yeah. Um, I have to admit, I, I fall asleep. Right beforehand? Sit in the car right before I race and, like, kind of half paying attention to the world out there, just sort of dozing off, I get to line, and I'm just like, so. Ready to go. Yeah, and some of the fastest guys I know are similar. You know, they do they do something like that, either fall asleep or have nervous energy, you know? Mm -hmm. 
So I'm just kind of curious, like, is that sort of maintaining it or trying not to get past the peak or? Yeah, it's probably my guess. Now it's, you know, without really talking to you about this, this is all my guess, but my guess is that you found um, if you were, if you don't take that nap, then you're already pushing yourself. You're just thinking about the and you're working yourself up to by the time the race starts where with the nap, you're like race starts, boom, I can just jump right into it. And you know that your process is going from zero to, to peak, you know, at the, at the start of the, the gun or whatever, um, where other folks, it really is, they have to get themselves pumped up. You know, we all have different levels, uh, baseline levels. So our, our baseline is all different. Um, some people are already worked up. So their, their anxiety and their internal state is already at this level. You've probably seen people like that where it's like, holy cow, your energy is, you got so much energy. It's like freaking me out a little bit. Right. And then there's other people that you're around and it's like a fire could be broken out right in front of them inside of their house. And they're just kind of like, Oh dude, there's a fire there kind of a thing, you know, um, and everywhere in between. And so, um, depending on what your baseline is, your, your, uh, what you do, your techniques to get you up to that peak performance level is going to be a little bit different. So it sounds like what you found is that by being able to be uh, able to tune things out for a little while that you're able to get there when you need to, as opposed to staying up and being hyper aroused, I guess you could say. Yeah, I would, I would say that's, that's kind of it. I just turn on and go. Turn on and go. Yeah. You have a lot of experience just in racing generally. You've done a lot of different kinds of sports. I wonder if you are able to just have a level of comfort that someone who is newer just can't, they can't quite reach that in advance of a race because there's so many unknowns. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, no. some, there's some confidence in, yeah. in knowing that you know what you're doing, you know, that, you know, you can do it. You know, I don't, I don't sit there feeling stress about that. And I also find that um, I fear turns off. Mm-hmm. You're yeah. like our worst nightmare as organizers. <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, it's not stupid fear like, oh, I'll drive off this cliff. But like, <laughs> I'm able to turn off like when we do the hill climbs, yeah. you know, there's a, a drop off. And I don't think about it. It doesn't come into the calculation of how I'm going to take that turn mm-hmm. unless there's a, a warning, you know, so I have co-driver fall mm-hmm. warning so i know then at that point switch off and come back a little but other than that you need this full tilt all the time mm-hmm. yeah so let's talk a little bit about um unknowns or uncontrollables so one of the things with any almost any kind of rally event is that the course is not it's not set in stone it not only may change year to year event to event it's going to change run to run as the sort yeah. Grades and that sort of thing. It's drier and it's wetter. Yeah. And I mean, we've talked about visualizing, we've talked about setting yourself up, but if, if there is change that is bound to come at you throughout the day, what, what can we do as competitors to just have a level of comfort with that maybe, or talk ourselves through it as it happens? Yeah. I think that's a really important thing is really that self-talk. Um, super important. And just telling yourself that, yes, I, I know that, you know, on my trial run, this is what the track felt like, but, you know, I'm racing the second half of the day 
and that truck is taking some abuse. And so I know that when I go into this turn, it's probably not going to feel the same. Um, so being able to realize that, yes, there's a lot of shift and change. I, I think that that can be really helpful. Um, but then making sure that you not only um, anticipate uh, and not stay comfortable in where, where you were. So uh, if you went through, maybe you did like a trial run, or maybe you've been watching the track, um, and you know that there's going to be a race between when you get up and, and when you actually go through the, the track, um, going back to, okay, I know what's, this is what it's going to look like. Um, letting go of that sense of, yes, this is an absolute, this is what I'm anticipating. This is what it's going to look like. You can still anticipate. Um, but as long as you're doing it with that sense of knowing that it's not there's a good chance that it's not going to be the same. Um, that's going to keep you on your toes a little bit more. And then you're going to be able to react a little bit uh, quicker than if you were going into this. And all of a sudden it's like, Whoa, this kind of came out of nowhere. What the heck am I going to do now? You're already in your mind planning for that, uh, that variable to, to be uh, shift and be different than, than uh, the first time that you saw it. I think that that can really, really help you um, maintain focus um, and, and because if you go through and things change on you and you are expecting them to stay the same, that's going to throw a lot of people off all of a sudden, um, you know, that, uh, we love as human beings, we love to have control and we love to be able to anticipate, you know, what our future is going to look like. But if we go into it with a different mindset is that I, I don't know what it's going to look like. I have to be ready and aware when those little things come up, you are already anticipating, expecting that it's not going to throw you off your game quite as much. Mm -hmm. Those can be helpful. Mm. So there's a, this made me think about something as organizers when we put on races. Um, we usually do about six runs in a day, in the morning and the afternoon. And by the afternoon, is it right about the fifth run or so? Yeah. If there's ever going to be something that happens, somebody does something stupid, somebody does a rollover or something, you know, yeah. so it's, it's almost always right then. And it is always a beautiful day. It is, huh. <laughs> it is never on the terribly rainy days. So it's so, like people have had a great day. There maybe is just some comfort. Some We're comfort, too confident. I don't know, but so now when it gets towards the end there, the fifth run, even in the morning, you know, I, I get away from the registration tent and I get out on course and I start looking at some of the corners where I'm anticipating we're going to have some problems and mm -hmm. are very closely managing them yeah. once we realize that. But I just kind of wondering, you know, what's, what's, I mean, the phenomena here is this, is this like, a, you know, people are tired end of day, the brain isn't working or is this just, I mean, it's, you know, if it was at that same time, if it was consistently happening, even on like rainy days and things like that, but if it sounds like it comes out on like sunshiny days, to me, it almost sounds like a sense of like um, almost over, not overconfidence, but so comfortable that you're, it's going into that expectation that I can push myself. It's a beautiful day out. Um, there's been no issues on the track. So when I go into, and you probably, you sounds like you already noticed there's going to be these little pockets, these hotspot pockets where these incidents are going to occur. Um, they're going to push themselves a little bit more going into that turn where if it was a rainy day or maybe somebody had already, 
you know, uh, wiped out there, something like that, they're going to be thinking about it. But if it's a whole day with no incidents, it's beautiful out. Um, a lot of people are going to push themselves a little bit harder and then get into into trouble. But I think it could also be fatigue um, that you're not, you know, you're not just sitting there focused on when you're going to race. It sounds like a lot of the time you're actually working too. Um, and so you get some physical fatigue there. You get some mental fatigue, depending on what it is that you're responsible for. Um, I imagine that those things can kind of uh, impact that as well. But I think it's, it's great that you've noticed that pattern and you can start to uh, already go out and not only just address that here are probably some of the spots where there's going to be issues. You can probably and talk with some of the drivers beforehand and say, Hey, um, you know, things have been good. Uh, but watch yourself going into this turn or whatever it happens to be to, to help them. Now you don't want to get too much in their heads or maybe if you're competing against them, you don't want to help them out too much. Um, but at the same time, as you know, as in your role, you want to make sure that everybody's safe. That's probably your number one job is safety. So, yeah. So, for doing endurance sports, I go and I volunteer work at them. And so there's been a really good few lessons that I've learned just, just from spectating on top of the fact that I don't ever want to do it. But <laughs> additionally, what, what, so I'll work in like say a transition area, I just volunteer. And um, it's like clockwork. As the day goes on, people get dumber and dumber. And, and yeah. I, I don't mean like, you know, they're just not as intelligent, but like they come in the transition area. There's these huge signs that are maybe 30 feet tall. Let's say like run out, you know, bike out and you'll watch them run around the whole place and they finally see you and they ask and you're like, so the run outs right there, there's a 30 foot sign that says run right, right there. And you know, it's really amazing, but you know, you've seen them in the morning. And so, you know, that they're not really like stupid people, right? Mm -hmm. not, you know, they're normal. And often most of them are actually pretty intelligent, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's just really interesting to see as your body consumes your stores, mm -hmm. um, it, it, it takes its reserve from your brain. Yeah. So like, you know, making sure you stay fully, uh, you know, hydrated and, and and have food all day can help with like that that sharpness. You know, so yeah, for sure. See, yeah, I think it's nice. I mean, uh, if a lot of folks, you know, uh, uh, racing folks are watching this, um, that can be something that they now pay attention to. So the folks who are able to watch the pad the podcast, listen to the podcast, can now in their minds be thinking, "Oh crap, I'm that fifth race today." I better start uh, being uh, paying more attention, knowing that there's a good chance that I might be feeling that fatigue or, you know, feeling confident because of what's been happening over the day or whatever it happens to be. And, um, and that I need to, to sit back and focus a little bit more. It's one hope, but sometimes, you know, uh, we are this kind of sensory input machine and we're taking in so much, um, but our brains can't process everything. And, uh, and so we have to get selective in what it is that we pay attention to. So the more stimulus that we have uh, coming in, a lot of folks, they narrow their focus down. So all of a sudden, things that seem obvious, like a 30-foot sign to most folks, all of a sudden, because of how much stimulus they're taking in and all their internal and external stuff coming in, makes their focus get so narrow that a lot of times they can miss 
things that seem so so obvious. Um, so being aware of how you take in your information, your, your sensory information can be helpful too. Yeah, that's interesting. So one thing I do, I'm, uh, I tend to have like mantras to handle certain situations that kind of throw me off. Are you a mantra person? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what these mantras are. Oh, good. Oh, and okay, let's talk. So runners are like obsessed with mantras. So maybe let's... Uh, we don't we... have anything else to do. <laughs> Yeah, hours just running. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta do something. <laughs> Nobody asked for your. This is a Mars show, <laughs> right? <laughs> Let's introduce the idea of a mantra and what it can be used for. Sure. Yeah. So uh, a lot of people use mantras to keep focused. Um, sometimes it's just to kind of keep focused and kind of going straight ahead. Sometimes it's making sure that you are, maybe if you found one of your opportunities for growth and you want to make sure that you don't run into that same habit again in your mind, saying whatever it is in your mind over and over and over again, as you're going into a turn or something like that, whatever it happens to be, um, being able to kind of repeat that is really bringing your focus and attention to what it is that you want to be successful at. And so by having those mantras and using uh, mantras. And, and, you know, I think a lot of people think some kind of mystical connection to these mantras or something that you, you know, had to meditate for, for years in a cave before you found yours. Um, but really, it's not like that at all. Uh, for some folks, of course, it, it might be. Um, but for m- most folks, it's really just what makes sense to you? How is it going to increase your performance? Um, and how's it going to impact you in more of a positive way, whether it be your, your physical performance, your mental performance. A lot of times people are using them to keep themselves mentally on task um, and pushing themselves. So they can be really anything, um, but you want it to be focused enough to help you, of course, right? Keep, keep it going in a positive direction. Uh, do you, are you open to sharing your mantra? I would love to, but I feel like Keto has a smart comment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that's what a mantra is. Oh. And I actually have to admit that I do that. Oh, good. Well, so right in the moment. So yeah. if I find a corner and like, for example, I want to go right and you know that I need to stay outside, you know, I'll be like, stay outside on the gas early and I'll repeat it in mm-hmm. my head as I'm coming up to it, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but I, I don't have long you used to have one that I would say to you before you raced, and it was like, shoot, now I can't remember. Like, stay in it or don't lift or something like that. But, and I would, anyway. Yeah, don't lift. Um, I have a left and coast, no coast. No coast. No coast. So, um, yeah, so I have two that actually translate over. It's so interesting. They translate over from racing into like my everyday life. But, mm-hmm. I have, I struggle with anxiety and one of the things I do to help myself is really plan for all the contingencies and plan for how things will go. So this is like, if I have a busy day at work, I plan Mm -hmm. for it or race weekends, I plan like crazy, but I'll still find myself kind of getting lost in like the the feeling of a loss of control. There's so much happening. I might not be able to handle it all. And Mm -hmm. so I say, trust the plan, trust the plan. That's the first one. The second one. First, you have to have a plan. <laughs> have a plan. The second one is um, this definitely came out of the fact that, like, during a marathon or during an Ironman, it hurts. Actual physical pain, it hurts. And it hurts me watching it. 
(laughs) you're out there and you're like, I don't know why the fuck I'm doing this. Like what, you know? And so I remind myself, I think it's actually a Rihanna song. Somehow this popped into my head when I was like listening on a run, but she has a a line in one of her songs. It's like, this is what you came for. Mm. So I remind myself, like you literally signed up for this. Like you volunteered to do this. And it reminds me that there's like all these things on the other side that I really enjoy and I really appreciate. But I have to, I can see it's working. Um, I have to remind myself that, that even on like a stressful race weekend, like I have to remind myself, like, this is a place I want to be. And this is work I want to be doing. It's hard. Mm-hmm. It's challenging, but I'm here for a reason. So then I just remind myself, like, this is what you came for. Yeah. Now I need to go get a Justin Bieber. Mom. Yes. Totally. <laughs> I don't know that Justin Bieber says anything worth repeating. Huh? Oh, boy. Hey, Rihanna. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit better. <laughs> I probably could have like kept that bit of information to myself, but oh well. Yeah, well, awesome. well I'm good. It's it's what I mean. It's your personalized mantra, and it works for you, and that's what's important. Yeah. So as we kind of wind down here, um, one thing that I find really helpful is actually talking to a psychologist myself. I go through an ID brief after race weekends, and I go through the things that were hard to deal with and things that I can plan for next time. And sometimes she reminds me that. You can't plan for everything. So it's just nice to have a sounding board. Can you give people some advice when maybe finding a professional that they want to work with that can help them through all kinds of things, racing and not racing related? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think the first thing to remember is that you are the consumer and uh, you know yourself and you know somebody who you're going to work well with. If you walk into an office and usually they have like an intake. And so a lot of it is, you know, the first session is going to be a lot of questions about history, medical history, things like that. Um, But after the the first session, you should probably already have a sense about this individual. Is this somebody that I feel like I can work with? Um, Because if you can't open up and trust that person, you're not going to do a whole lot of good work there. And so remembering that you're the consumer and that you know yourself better than anybody. I think that that's really, really important. So going in there and feeling comfortable saying, you know, I, I don't think we're going to uh, be able to, to w- this isn't going to work out for us. Um, these are some of the concerns that I have. Um, any ethical therapist, psychologist is going to be like, all right, great. Because they want to, they're, they're in the business to help folks. And if they already know that there's something about your, their style or the way that, that the client feels, or maybe it has nothing to do with them, but their own past traumas, say that I don't want to work with a male therapist or whatever it happens to be, um, being confident and comfortable enough to say, hey, um, I don't think we can work together. Here are the reasons why. Can you refer me? And they should have some really good referrals. And the more that you're able to give them, um, the better the referral can be. And so making sure that you're a consumer trusting yourself in that process as soon as you start to get little bells that are going off um, those bells are suggesting that the work is about to stop Um, and so being mindful enough to say okay it's time to move on Um, and then you know the the big thing is to to talk with folks around you um, see who they're working with what they like about them and then um, going in and, and trying them on so that's that's really what it is. It's all about is just kind of another trial and error process, making sure that you find the right person for you. Yeah. That like trying them on part is so hard because you kind of get up the gusto to go see the first one. It doesn't go perfectly. You're like, yeah, that wasn't worth it. And you just write off the process. Um, Yeah. And a lot of people stop there and then they miss the benefits because of one uh, bad interaction when, you know, 
every therapist is different um, and they're going to bring out different things in you uh, as long as things are moving forward. And I think that's another thing is that a lot of times people get into therapy and they're there working really well with somebody and then all of a sudden things kind of stall. And it's really important as the consumer again to say, hey, you know what, I'm not sure that I'm getting the benefit of this and here are the things that are coming up for me. And maybe, uh, uh, again, an ethical therapist will say, well, it sounds like it's time to refer you out to somebody who might specialize a little bit more in this area and then get you connected up so you can start working again. Yeah. I love that you call out like an ethical therapist will do this and maybe it's a red flag if they don't. And then you can find your own self-referral to a specialist or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Last question. Do you have any advice for good resources, either books or websites or somewhere to get some, even if it's just small reminders of some of the things we talked about today? Huh, that's a really good point. So when I um, first, so it depends on what aspect you're really interested in. Um, but when I first started my graduate work, I actually thought I was going to be going into sports psychology. And I was like, oh, yeah, this would be really, really cool to do. Um, and so I started working with a sports psychologist named Saul Miller. And at the time he was out of Vancouver, BC, uh, he wrote a book called Hockey Tough. And um, it's a it's a little bit older, and but it talks about his work with professional uh, hockey players, and it goes through a lot of the processes that we've really just kind of scratched the surface on at a little bit more of a deeper level. He tells some of the stories around it as well, but you start to see some of the dynamics around team, but you also see some of the techniques that he was using. And so, uh, you know, there's definitely there's a lot of different books out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I would say, you know, the, the a good place to go is always like APA.org, American Psychological Association, their website. Um, they've got a lot of different, I mean, they're really just like a database of all kinds of different uh, journals, articles, things like that around, um, you know, uh, well-being, mental well-being, and really physical well-being as well. Uh, so I would say that you could start off at like the APA.org um, and then looking for like specifics. So once you've found that, oh gosh, my big issue is uh, race day jitters, that I get just so worked up that I want to throw up or something like that, and that can really throw me off. Well, then you can start to find something a little bit more specific to how do I manage myself uh, on the, the race day. Um, and the web is a great place. Be mindful of where they get their information from, though. Obviously, I think that that's a huge thing is recognizing, you know, if they if there's a, a blog or something like that and it doesn't have like a reference section, question that a little bit because then that could just be somebody's opinion. And a lot of people will look at somebody's opinion and take it for gospel without actually doing any further research to say, is that true or, or is that untrue? So being mindful of what the resource is and then looking where they got that information from. So a, a good um, a, a good blog or something like that is also going to have a, a reference section where they show where they got the information that they're talking about here. And then you can go back to the really the original sources of that information and make your own judgment. Is that how I would interpret it? Um, because I think a lot of times people who are writing those blogs are just making their own interpretation of some research that's already out there and you might not make the same interpretation. So I think really trusting yourself again 
Yeah. Well, and it sort of ties to the idea that you're the consumer, which you literally are consuming the information. And so even just like when you buy goods, you have to be a little bit of a defensive consumer. You read the reviews, you do your research, and you're like, yes, this is the product I'm going to purchase. And sometimes reading another athlete's experience is actually quite helpful. Mm -hmm. But in my opinion, you do it with the mindset of this is someone else's experience. Maybe there's something that can help me and not take it as fact. Yeah, that's super important. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you again so much yeah. for being with us today. I feel like we have like a future psychology deep dive coming, maybe on more specific <laughs> topics. So oh. the loop. I just cool. like we probably could have done like another three sessions just today. So <laughs> thank you again. Always wonderful. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Yeah. Awesome. Great to see you all. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in today. You can follow along with our race series on Instagram and Facebook at Mod Racing. Mod is spelled M-O-D-D because it's an acronym for Motorsports and Driver Development. And if you're enjoying the show, take a second to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It will help us show up in the search results for anyone looking for a motorsports podcast. And of course, if you like this episode, take a screenshot and post it to Instagram and tag us. We appreciate you listening. We'll catch you on the next one.